Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Brook at the 11 o'clock service. We're so glad that you're here, so glad that you joined us. And uh, these are, uh, are crazy days, aren't they? I've heard someone say that uh, it wasn't like 2020 ended and we moved to 2021. It's like 2020 has actually gone into overtime. And uh, we are still in the first period of overtime. I don't know, however uh, God and providentially has brought you here today to join us at the Brook, I am so glad that you're here, and we trust and our prayer is that uh, this service has been a blessing to you already, as it has been to me, and that as we hear from God's Word, that that too would be a, a thing of significance and weight, because we need to hear uh, from God's Word actually now more than ever in the midst of all that we are going through. Today is uh, Palm Sunday, of course. And, you know, it's like I grew up up north, so we don't have a lot of palm trees. And I, part of me thinks that, uh, you know, every, every Sunday in Florida is Palm Sunday because we have palms everywhere. And, you know, I, I suppose we could go out and pull some palms off the trees uh, around us and, and so forth. But probably wouldn't be good for the neighbors. They would, they would not like that. So whatever you do to observe Palm Sunday, I know more traditional uh, services, uh, they hand you a palm and that kind of thing. We don't exactly do that here at the Brook, but we do want to recognize that it is Palm Sunday. It's an important day because it starts what we call, as Christians, what we call Holy Week because we have Palm Sunday, and then coming up on Thursday is Maundy Thursday, the day that Jesus gives the commandment to love one another to his disciples. And of course, on Good Friday, when Jesus dies on the cross for us, and of course, on Sunday, a week from today, is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, the center of our Christian faith. You know, if we have to boil the Christian faith down to one sentence, it is, we believe in the risen Christ. And so as we approach Palm Sunday, I thought it would be really good because as Pastor Mucci asked me to speak this week, he said the theme is suffering and glory. Those two things don't seem like they necessarily go together. But I think Palm Sunday is a really good example, and Holy Week is a really good example of the different ways to look at glory. For example, the glory of Palm Sunday, as the passage that was read for us this morning, is the idea that Jesus, uh, riding into Jerusalem, is received with great fanfare, like a conquering hero. And the shout from the people is something along the lines of Hosanna, right? Hosanna. They're recognizing him for who he is. And truly, Jesus deserves all of that praise and all of that attention and all of that glory. But just like all the fame and glory of the world, it's temporary. You know, for some people, their goal in life is to become famous, right? Uh, their goal in life is to get a million followers on Instagram or YouTube or whatever social media uh, form they have. You know, some of us are just happy with like 50 followers, right? And, you know, but the thing about human fame is that human fame is very fickle. You know, uh, you know, my wife and I could tell stories about the people who were famous back, you know, 20 years ago. And, we, and my daughters look at us like, who are you talking about? They didn't even talk about that in history class, right? It's like that's kind of the way it is. Fame is fickle. Uh, people uh, get turned on. People who are famous one day uh, and, and, and cheered by the crowds, all of a sudden, all of a sudden they're rejected by everybody and no one knows who they are. They're has-beens, right? That's the way human glory is. Human glory is fleeting. And I'm not saying, 
I'm not saying it's wrong to have human glory. What I'm saying is, is that don't count on it being there when you really need it. Don't count on it being a part of your life when everyone turns their back on you. Now, when you get to the end of Holy Week, Good for, uh, Palm Sunday starts with a lot of human glory. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. We, as the readers of the Bible, didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But we get to the end, when we get to Good Friday, what are the people saying? The people are saying, crucify him. The same people said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now they're saying, crucify him. That's an amazing turn in just a week. Now the fact of the matter is, one of the greatest examples of the glory of God, one of the greatest demonstrations of the glory of God, is not what happened on Palm Sunday, but what happened on Good Friday. Because Good Friday, it shows God's glory as one who dies on the cross for our sins. Jesus indeed faced human rejection on Good Friday. But the glory of the cross is shown by a profound demonstration of God's love. And so our theme today is suffering and glory, glory and suffering. How do the two go together? And I just want to think about that as we, as we get started this morning, about how those things impact us. And indeed, we see it happening even on Palm Sunday. So as we start our message today, let us look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we commit our ways to you. We thank you that we can gather in freedom to worship you. I thank you for the praises that have been sung to your name. Lord, you are holy. You are glorious. You deserve all of our praise and our worship. We confess, dear Lord, that there are days when we're not very worshipful. We confess, Lord, that there are days when we are distracted by everything around us and we take our eyes off of you. So, Lord, thank you for these moments together this morning where we could sing your praises and we can hear from your word and we can move in a direction that is honoring and pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, this morning we continue our prayers for Pastor Mucci and his family at this time. Especially as he deals with COVID, my prayer is that you would bring him healing from above. Give the doctors and all who treat him great wisdom into his specific condition and allow him to return to us as soon, we pray. We pray for his family. We pray, Lord, for all of those who've been affected by COVID in our congregation. We ask, Lord, for your blessing on them. Lord, these have been difficult days uh, indeed uh, in this year and this past year, we ask for your blessing on us and on all who've been affected. So we pray this day that you'd help us understand your word better, to apply it better, to know it better, to live in light of your word as true followers of you. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. I'd like you to turn your Bibles uh, with me to Romans chapter 5. When I was thinking about glory and suffering, suffering and glory, the theme that came to my mind uh, immediately are some of the verses here in the very first uh, five verses of Romans chapter 5. Uh, you may have read these verses before. They may be familiar to you. If not, uh, if not just listen along. Or uh, the notes are in the Bible app uh, uh, you know, that uh, was up there at the beginning of the, at this, of the uh, service. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now today, this, these five verses, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on these five verses alone, and, and many people have over the, in the history of the, the interpretation of this passage. There's so many different things we could say, so many different angles to approach it from. But I, I want to draw out three points for you this morning as, as we think about suffering and glory, glory and suffering, how the two can possibly be related. The first point is this. Taken from the very first two verses of the chapter, the very, there are very real implications. Point one is this. There are very real implications of being a Christian. Now, that sounds like a crazy thing to say in 2021 in America, in a church, on a Sunday morning, um, because Christianity is, seems to be all around us. We look around, we look around, there's churches like on every corner or every other corner. Uh, you know, some people use the phrase Christian country to describe our nation. Uh, we look at our dollar bill and we say, in God, it says, in God we trust on it. We say the Pledge of Allegiance in school and it says, one nation under God. And so it's very tempting for people to talk about America as a Christian country or, or, or just let's say, let's, let's move on from that to just like us and say, well, you know, my grandfather was a minister, and so therefore I'm a Christian. Or, you know, my parents, you know, they dragged me to church when I was little, and they had me baptized as a baby, so therefore I am Christian. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not an atheist, and I don't think I'm Jewish, and I, I'm probably not uh, a Muslim, so, so I guess I'm Christian, right? And so it's like a, it's kind of a cultural thing to be a Christian in our country, um, there's not as many Christians as there used to be, but uh, it's still a kind of a cultural thing, right? And unfortunately, that is a terrible way of looking at Christianity as simply a cultural thing, a thing that I got from my, my parents or my grandparents or my uncle or, or whomever. It seems to me that uh, we need to spend some time really at the outset of this sermon to think about what it truly means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, since we have been justified by faith. I'm glad for families that are Christian families. And if your grandparents or your parents were Christian and they took you to church and that was a good thing, God bless them for doing it. But there has to be a time in your life personally where the religion of your parents and your grandparents, and not really the religion, but really the relationship they have with Jesus, has to become your relationship. It's not an inheritance like you get when someone passes away and they leave you, they leave you some money or something. It's really something that has to be very personal and something that, that is very real for you. And so when Paul says being justified by faith, what it means is this. There has to have been a time in your life when you realize that you cannot become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, on your own. World religion and world philosophy all points us in the direction of earning our way to heaven, of working our way to heaven. 
just like becoming a millionaire, you know, you save a few bucks and you put them in the bank or you make a couple good investments and you get some interest and over time it builds. A lot of people feel like, you know, that's way, the way the trip to heaven is like or earning our way to heaven. You know, I do a little good work here. I give a little money over here. I support this cause over here. I show up on church on a Sunday morning, you know, and I'm earning points and we get to heaven. Well, if you've tried that way, you know something about that way, right? That way is very frustrating. Because all the good points you earn for showing up in service could end by the time you hit the next stoplight when someone uh, runs you off the road and you get mad at them, right? You know, or the fight that you have with your family about where you're going to eat after service, you know? And it's like all of a sudden all the great joy that we had in church is gone like that. If I had to count on my ability to work my way to heaven, I would be utterly and hopelessly lost. And in fact, I was utterly and hopelessly lost. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we all are utterly, hopelessly lost. Even the best behaved of us comes short. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What it means to be a believer in Christ, what it means to be justified by faith, that it comes to a point when you say to yourself, I can't do this. I can't save myself. Only God can save me. And not simply God, but Jesus dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. That is the basis of my salvation. So if you were to face the Lord today, and he were to say, you know, why should I let you into my heaven? It's not because, oh man, I was in church today, man. I, I paid attention, I took notes in the sermon, I learned a couple verses, I sang a couple songs, and God says, okay, good, you're in. That's not how it works. You get in not because you were good, but because Jesus bore our sin on the cross. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Now, in the world where Christian, the word Christian is used a lot and we throw it around all the time, you know, and I, you know, I gave an illustration earlier in the first service about my role as a chaplain. I get a sheet of paper to go to a unit and it says, you know, Mr. Jones and it gives, gives the religion. You know, uh, they're Catholic or they're Baptist or they're Methodist or, or a nun or generally Christian. And I go into the room and I start talking to the patient and their family and then I find out pretty quickly that, you know, they may not be as Christian as the paper says they are. And so the idea behind all of this is, is that being a Christian is a personal decision for you. It's a, your choice to choose Jesus. And it's your choice to exercise your faith and put your faith in Him because He is absolutely the only one who can save you. So Paul says that there are very real implications for being a Christian. There are very real implications for being that kind of a Christian. And here they are. Ver number one in verse one, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we could stop there and spend the rest of our time on peace. Oh my goodness. The peace of God. You know what kind of troubled world we live in? You know how much chaos we see, how much injustice we see, how the horrors of hum humanities, inhumanity to, to, other, to other people, you know, you see it over and over again. You see uh, people doing despicable things and despicable things being done to people. But there's peace with God. That inner turmoil you have, am I right with God, am I not right with God? What happens in the end? What happens in the future? What happens when I die? All of that is washed away in the ocean of God's peace. You know, human peace is like human glory. It's fleeting. You can feel peaceful for a moment, but the next crisis comes and you get all agitated and you get all anxious again. And God's peace is not like that. 
God's peace is abiding and it stays with you and it keeps you, it keeps you in calm, it keeps you calm in times of storm. And having peace with God lets you know that it's going to be okay. We move to the second thing, verse two. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You know, I think about uh, back when we used to, you know, go places and do things before we all stuck at home with COVID, you know. One of the greatest joys in life is like having a VIP card and showing up at some place and getting treated like, oh, this important person, right? We have access, right? We get to see the celebrity. We get to, we get to meet and greet or however, however that goes. And it's like, oh, we have access. Paul says that for one who is truly a believer, one who's been truly justified by Jesus Christ, we have access to God. That's better than seeing the president, right? That's better than seeing, that's better than seeing the Pope. It's better than seeing any famous person you ever wanted to see. You have access to God. You have access to the creator of the universe. You have, the, you have access by faith. God hears your prayers. He receives your prayers. He receives you into his presence. It is a mighty thing and, and, and sad, sad, sad. We don't pray as often as we should because we don't know, we don't know what it's, how important it is or how great it is to have access to God, to be able to share with him our heart to be able to share with him our hopes and our dreams and, our, and the, the frustrations and the sorrows and the pains and all those things that come with us. God, Paul tells us that because we're Christians, we have this access. I imagine if someone mailed you a VIP card, you'd probably use it for whatever, whatever the thing was for. Because you're a Christian, because you've been justified by faith, you have this access. Let's use it, right? Let's use it. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for our world. Let's hear from God because our world really needs it, right? The last thing in verse 2 is this. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I imagine that there's a way of interpreting that to, that someone would, be, would say, well, that means that I have the hope that when I go, uh, when I die, I'll go to heaven when I die. That there's, you know, coming a point, you know, sometime down the road where I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to get sick or whatever, and I'm going to die, and then, um, and then I get to go to heaven. So that's what I have. I have the hope of the glory of God, and I'll rejoice in that. We have to be really careful. That, that's true, right? That, those are true thoughts. That's the teaching of the Bible in part, but the teaching of the Bible also is, is that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God right now, right now. It says in John 3.16 about when we believe, right, in Jesus, that we have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start the second you stop breathing and you enter God's presence. Eternal life for the believer starts now. We have access to God and we have access to eternity. We have the hope of God's glory with us now. That's really hard to contemplate, right? But think about it, in the Old Testament, there's the tabernacle, the, the building that the children of, Israel's, uh, children of Israel picked up and they built it, they, they God instructed them to build it, and in, at, at the end, God's glory filled it, right? It was a picture of heaven on earth. 
And then in John chapter 1, where we read about Jesus coming to earth, it says, it says that we beheld his glory. That when Jesus came to earth, that was heaven on earth. Because he was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so now, for the believer today, in the year 2021, we acknowledge the fact, we acknowledge the fact that we are connected to eternity and have the hope of the glory of God. I don't know if you've thought of lately about how precious it is to be a Christian. It seems to me that when we read God's word over again and again, and we really meditate on what it actually says, we ought to be filled with joy to be related to Jesus in this way, to be saved by faith in him, to be justified, to be declared righteous. Now we have the hope of the glory of God. Now that's an important phrase, the hope of the glory of God. And if you're taking notes or you're underlining your Bible, that's a good phrase to underline because we're going to really need it in, for point two. Because point two is this. A Christian can actually rejoice in their suffering. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And at the end of verse two and in verse three, it says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And we're saying, Paul, you're playing some tricks on us here. We don't like it, right? He's actually using the same word. Rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God and the weight of God and the, the grandeur of God and the awesomeness of God. Rejoicing in that. But we also rejoice in our sufferings too. Paul, seriously. Really? Rejoice in our sufferings? Now I was uh, preparing for the sermon and uh, my sweet daughter Emily was uh, in the room and I said, what are, you talking about? What, are you, what are you talking about? And I told her a little bit, glory and suffering and that kind of thing. And she introduced me to a phrase that I had not heard until yesterday, so I'm going to share it with you. It's the phrase, toxic positivity. Toxic positivity. It's one of those things where I knew the concept, but I didn't know there was a cool phrase to go along with it. Toxic positivity. It's an overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state that results in denial and invalidation of human experience. So I'm a hospital chaplain. And patients are sick, and I go visit a patient. And the patients, you know, uh, you know, they're in the bed, and maybe they have some tubes and so forth. And I go to talk to them. And I look at them, and they, I say, you know, you don't look so sick. <laughs> I'd be fired in a second, right? You don't want to hear that. You don't look so sick. Get up. You don't look sick. Um, that's no, that's not what you want to hear. Um, the idea of toxic positivity is this whole idea that I'm going to belittle the way you're, what you're going through, your suffering. Oh, you've, you've, met, you've met the people, and I know you're not like this, but you've met the people who are like this, and they say, you, you know, someone tells you something that's really profound to them, and something they're going through some suffering, right? And, and, you, and, and, and you've, you know the people who say, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty bad, but boy, did you hear about so-and-so? That's really bad, right? Because all of a sudden they've belittled you and what you're going through and they compared you to somebody else. And, and I guess that's an attempt to make you feel better, but all it does is make you feel not listened to because what you're going through is real to you. Now believe me, I love, I love what I do as a chaplain because you know what, when you're stuck in a hospital room, um, you don't oftentimes as a patient, you don't feel heard. You feel like the doctors come in and kind of do their thing, and the nurses come in and they do their thing, and everybody's so busy. And amazing, by the time the chaplain comes in, they just, they, folks want to talk. And you know what they want? They want, 
They don't want to hear about how wise I am or, you know, or how clever I am. Or, they don't even want me to solve their problems for them. They want to feel like they're heard. And it's my honor to, to be able to do that. It's one of those things, one of those great providences of God that God picked that for me. I would not have picked that for myself, but God picked it for me. And it's a, it's a blessing to be able to enter into that. So when Paul says, rejoice in sufferings, we are right to ask him, Paul, are you engaging in toxic positivity? And it's okay, you know, it's okay to ask the Bible hard questions. And it's okay, that means you're actually reading it and you're following it along. You know what? The Bible, God is not scared of our hard questions. He is not. Now, we have to be ready for his answer. I have to have some faith to receive it. But Paul is the guy, and let's be really clear here, and let's paint a really big picture here about what's going on. Paul is the guy who says, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those that weep. There is not, I, I, you know, I don't think you can find a verse where Paul minimizes people's suffering when he says, you know, your suffering's not real. Or he doesn't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think you can find a verse where he says, get over it. You know, he doesn't talk like that. But he does offer us this. We can rejoice in suffering. So the question is, if you're not engaging in toxic positivity and just trying to overwhelm people uh, so they don't feel so bad anymore, uh, what exactly is he trying to do? Uh, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to give us a bigger picture of God's glory and what it means that, God, that God's in control of the universe that we find ourselves in. You know, if we, had a, if we had a magic wand, we would wipe away suffering like that. But suffering seems to be part of the human package. If, if you hear of a philosophy or religion that teaches you can go through life without suffering, I run away from it because it's not close to what the Bible teaches. Now, the Bible recognizes the pain of suffering. If there's, if there's opportunities to adjust that or to move away from it or to get away from it, to get better, you know, those kinds of things, you go for that, right? You go for that. But even, even as you make those choices, suffering still seems to follow us all, uh, around life. And he, make, he builds a case in, in three sentences. He says, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So he acknowledges the suffering right away. And maybe you can't make the suffering go away. Maybe it's an extended illness. Or maybe it's a, a state of life where you find yourself and you just can't, you can't make a decision just to change things and, and be all different tomorrow. Uh, and then all of a sudden what God is doing with you as he's walking with you through this is he's building endurance in your heart. He's building, he's building patience in your heart. And then he's producing ultimately character in your heart so that in the middle of this, he, you know that God is walking with you, that He has not left you. And then ultimately, that character produces hope. So when you get to the end of verse 4 and you see the word hope, that's the same word that's used in verse 2 where it says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, the whole idea between suffering and glory is that God acknowledges our suffering. He understands our suffering. And you can make the case that Jesus, by what He did on the cross, underwent suffering, right? And the idea is behind all that is that God is bigger than all of that. And in the midst of it, God gives us hope. He gives us hope. 
He gives us a peace that passes understanding. He gives us a bigger picture of the world in which we live. Now this is not to belittle for a second anything anyone goes through. Not at all. He asks us as fellow believers to care for each other and to care for the world around us. To acknowledge the suffering that we see within our community and within the broader world in general. He wants us to, to see it and He wants us to do things about it. And He wants us to be involved in the world in which we live. But ultimately for the believer, suffering and glory are linked together by this word in verse and point two, it's a character produces hope. Believers ought to be the most hopeful of people. It always strikes me. It always strikes me when I run into a pessimistic believer. It's like, what do you actually believe in? Someone's always down in, in like uh, like everything's bad all the time. Not not personal suffering, not personal suffering, but just kind of a sour look on their face. And and you, what's going on? And, and well, you know, and, and they'll give you these reasons why things are bad in the world and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. You're you're right. But but a believer ultimately has hope. We believe in the glory of God. We believe in the God is going to turn things around. We believe in a just God. It's not simply that we hate injustice. We believe in the God who loves justice. And by doing that, by understanding that, that allows us to move in positive ways into a world which desperately needs to hear from God. And that brings me to point three. The Christian's great hope is seen in the link between suffering and God's love. Let me read verse five again for you. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Oh, we need to stop here. We need to stop and hear these words. God's love has been poured into our hearts. It's hard for me to imagine because I'm a very finite being. I wish I could write everybody a big check. But eventually the bank would get mad at me because I have no money to, to support the check. I could give you a big check, it's worthless. I wish I could give everybody a piece of cake, but I only have so much cake, I'm gonna run out of cake, right? Think about, think about our human limitedness, our, our finiteness, the fact that, that we don't have a lot. And, 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 then, and then, you know, if we're really honest, and we're really honest with each other on a Sunday morning, you know, it's like, I want to make sure that I have enough cake for me. <laughs> and so I might not tell you about the cake I have because I want it for myself. And so that's limited. Cake is limited or whatever. <laughs> put, put in, I was thinking about cake for some strange reason. What if, put in whatever the thing is. I grew up as a, my, parent, my parents were children of the Depression in the 1920s and 30s. And, uh, and, uh, and so I grew up with Depression-era values because uh, my dad's uh, farm was taken away from his parents and, and, they, and they lived in, in pretty poor circumstances uh, up in upstate New York for a while. And, and, and so, you know, my dad, my dad uh, was, was a cheap lot, I would say. But that's because he lived through those experiences of, of what it means to have nothing and have things taken away from you. 
And so, uh, you know, it was, it was hard. It was hard sometimes to think about limited resources. What is that like? All right, don't be depressed. Here it is. Here it is. God's love is not limited. You know, our world is full of limits. Our world is full of, you know, our resistance and walls. God's love is overwhelming. God doesn't run out of love. If God loves you, that doesn't mean He loves me less. If God loves the people across the street or a different church somewhere in town, that doesn't mean He loves the brook less. God's love is poured out. It is poured out. And it's the same word that's used in the book of Acts to describe the Holy Spirit coming on people when they're speaking in tongues and many are being converted. You know the passage. The Spirit is poured out. It wasn't like the Spirit didn't exist before Acts 2. But all of a sudden, Acts 2 shows up and the volume is turned up to the highest. And the Spirit is pounding, right, in Acts 2. People are being wonderfully converted and, and marvelously changed. And, and the gospel, the church is born in Acts 2. But the same words here used in Romans 5. God's love is poured out on all of us. He doesn't give you a dime here and a quarter here and a dollar here. He doesn't give us a, a crumb here and a tidbit here, and another small portion over here. God turns the volume so high, and He pours His love out us on us in amazing ways. But sometimes we're so blinded by the world that we don't even recognize it. We're so overcome by the things going on that we don't stop to understand that we as believers are connected to glory. We don't understand. We don't understand God's love for us. You need to know today, as we all do, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God's love has been poured out on you. And I tell you what, Christians get a bad name for different things and for different reasons. This is true. Sometimes it's well-deserved. You know, church is full of hypocrites, and I've walked away. This bad thing happened to me, and I'm not going ever going to church again. I get that. That makes sense to me. I hear it loudly. I don't know what your neighbors think of Christians or what your friends at work think of Christians or, or what your connections in this world think of, connect, uh, of Christians or your family members who aren't churchgoers, what they think of Christians. And it's, it's easy to say, you know, we're this way or that way or we're bad and terrible and stuff. But what, what the Bible asks us to do is to show love. The thing that Christians need to be known for, Jesus said, our, our greatest witness, our greatest testimony, Jesus himself said, they will know you are Christians, not because you're hypocrites, not because you're judgmental, not because you're, not because, you know, you're, just, you're, you're, you're just crummy people. <laughs> he says, they will know you are Christians by your love. And the early, the early people who wrote about the church, they said stuff like this, they do crazy things, those Christians. They do crazy things. They care for each other when they're sick. And they could get sick themselves. They do weird things in their service. They take bread and wine, right? That's crazy. We don't know what that means. It seems a little weird to us. But then they say this. Those Christians 
they love. And I think about, you know, our church and the world of churches that we know. Some churches are known because, you know, they're the biggest church. I actually knew a guy who advertised, I have the biggest Sunday school in Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go to your church for that reason? Come on, dude, you got to do better than that. There, you know, well, we have the best music program in the tri-county area, right? We have the best this or the best that. We strive for the best. We, we aim for the best. We want to do the best. We're not, we're, you know, we want, I mean, and I, we trust that we, you guys see that and we, we know it. But, I mean, we love the brook, my family does, because, you know, they've welcomed us and, and as, as members here and uh, even though uh, for whatever, you know, we, they love us, right? You guys love us and we thank you for that. Um, the brook's the cool church, right? And I feel like, oh man, after 50 some years of life, I'm finally cool. <laughs> I mean, it's like a life stream. And even though that may be the case, right? It may, may or may not be the case. We could talk about that later. But the, the fact is, the fact is, um, we want the brook to be known as a place where there's love. We love each other. I, I feel that here. I, I feel that. I feel that in the welcome that you, you folks have given my family and the kindness that you've treated us. And, and we, want to, we want to show that love. And, and you know, God's love is not a resource that's limited. God's love is unlimited. If you read Ephesians 3 over, you'll find that Paul actually prays to God that he would know the depth of God's love for us. And you know, if, if the Apostle Paul's saying that, how much more do we have to say it? The fact that, that uh, we need to pray, God, show us how much you love us. I want you to know today that God hears you and that God loves you. And that is the link between suffering and glory. That is the link. We can endure suffering in this life because we have direct access to the glorious God who loves us more than we can ever know. Our prayers, your prayers are heard. God does know what we are going through. The enemy wants you to think that you're by yourself, that only you have gone through this thing. That you are all alone, and the enemy wants to lure you away from God because that's what the enemy does. He's a liar, he's deceitful, he's evil. But God is saying with the power of His Word and the Spirit, child, my child, I love you. You're mine. You belong to me. God sees your tears and he hears your heart and he says, I love you. Remember that when suffering hits. Remember that. We can endure suffering in this life because we have a hope greater than anything humanity can create. The hope of His glory. I didn't share this in the, in the first service. This actually popped in my mind, so I'm, I'm on risky territory here. Um, the, other day, the other day on Netflix, I saw, I saw um, uh, the special on, on the Fire Festival that was like four years ago or something. And they and, and it was really fun. it was really it was quite humorous. I didn't lose twelve thousand dollars in it, so it was, it was was humorous to me to see from a distance. And they paid one of the Jenners a quarter million dollars 
for an Instagram post that says, oh, I can't wait till the fire Festival. And, and then they do, a little, they do a little history and they interview people. You know, fire Festival, it's a music festival. It's going to be held on uh, Pablo Escobar's island. And it was going to be a lot of famous singers were going to be there. It was going to be really popular and, and so forth. And, and you know, you, you look at the intro video and it has all these models with all these fancy drinks and, this, and the water is crystal blue and it's just beautiful. And you think to myself, you think to yourself, man, I, if I was into that kind of thing, that would be where I'd want to go. That's, that's my idea of heaven. Well, what happened was, if you know the story, was that everybody got ripped off. The thing never happened. These luxury tents got, got wet and the, the mattresses got destroyed. And, 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 and it was just a big, it was a big deal, right? Because that's what the world does. The world promises us beauty and glory and wonder and it all will ultimately fail. Not usually as spectacularly as the fire festival, but it does all fail. What God reminds us of is that his kingdom will never fail. God's kingdom is an unshakable kingdom. And as we pursue, as we know our loving God, and as we pursue justice in this world, as we pursue righteousness in this world, we know that we are on the right side because God says his word will last forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer today is for each one of us that, Lord, you know absolutely everyone's heart. You know the person who is suffering through things that are unspeakable. My prayer is that you would wound uh, or heal the wounded. Bind the wounds of those who are hurting. We pray that you provide comfort to those who are in pain, emotional, physical, spiritual pain. We pray that you'd open our eyes to see your love, that you'd open our eyes to see how much you care for us, that, that you would remind us of your love, that you would speak to us in ways as a father, a loving father, speaks to their child. Lord, we know all of these things are absolutely just words unless we receive them into our lives. So open the doors of our heart today to hear your word, and to receive what you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.